Samanji and welcome to the 44th episode of Avocado and Honey. If you haven't already, go ahead and check out the latest episode. I had the dope Mook, aka Melinda. She came through to talk about her new promotion at her workplace and also just working in a male-dominant environment and how she just managed to, you know, be a beautiful black woman in that environment. So check it out on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen into this podcast. Today I have the lovely St. Clair here with us. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for being here. St. Clair, you're doing a lot of amazing things. So first, we're going to talk about the documentary that you're doing. And then um, we're going to go into something else that's more amazing that you're doing as well. I'm really excited to talk with her today, y'all. I'm so excited that you guys get to participate or listen in on this conversation. So let's start with documentary. So you basically okay. created a documentary on DACA. Yeah. So what is DACA? DACA, D-A-C-A stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, mm -hmm. and it's a program. It was an executive order by President Obama that gave temporary protection from deportation and temporary work permits to undocumented youth. Mm -hmm. And like, what like inspired you to like create this documentary? So it's kind of a long story, but I'll give the short version. <laughs> so um, I grew up in a neighborhood in Washington D.C. called Columbia Heights, where there are a lot of Latinx immigrants. Mm -hmm. And when I went off to college, I realized, you know, being in a predominantly white space, I realized, well, I'm really lucky to be from such a diverse place. And so when I came back to D.C. This, um, the summer after my sophomore year, I started interviewing Latinx people in my neighborhood, you know, because I wanted to hear their stories. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time that I learned about DACA and what DACA is. Several of the people I interviewed were DACA recipients. And I started to get really interested and passionate about immigration mm -hmm. and the issues that affect immigrants. And so my last semester at Brown, I was taking a documentary filmmaking class. And at the beginning of that semester, Trump had rescinded DACA mm -hmm. and so I decided that I wanted to do something that could potentially have some kind of impact and so right. I made uh, documented cool you were saying that you met a whole bunch of like immigrants and people who taught you about DACA like are those the people who are in the documentary one of them yeah or actually let's think. go ahead and talk about the documentary so like what is in the documentary so you have stories like different stories um mm -hmm. with people who are affected with DACA and like you kind of show basically how they benefited from DACA and how basically what's going to happen since Trump is trying to take it away and everything. So like, how did you find like the different storylines for the documentary? Yeah, so I didn't really have a what they call a treatment for the documentary ahead of time. I kind of just wanted to interview people and hear their stories and then figure it figure out the storyline after that, you know, because I want the DACA recipients themselves to decide how they want to be represented and heard. Mm -hmm. And so I was really lucky that I was able to get a diverse group of DACA recipients from Latin America, Africa, the Caribbean, and Asia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I didn't so much go in with questions, but I was kind of just like, okay, tell me, tell me your story, tell me about yourself. And yeah. I kind of forgot the question. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, you pretty much... I was asking, um, how did they come about? Like, how did they end up in your documentary, the people? 
a couple of the people I knew from college, one person I knew from high school, and mm. then I really wanted to make sure that I included black voices. That was something I was, you know, really intentional about, and I also wanted to include an Asian voice because mm. I know that black and Asian immigrants are often left out of the narrative. And so I read a lot of articles about DACA recipients, and I was able to find people on, you know, on social media, um, or I was able to find their email addresses or whatever and contact mm. them. And that's one thing I do appreciate about your documentary as well is how diverse it is because, like you said, um, blacks and Asians are usually left out of the narrative. I mean, I'm a mm -hmm. black woman and I still, when I think immigration, but I'm also from California, so when I think immigration, I automatically think Hispanic because it's predominantly Mexicans who are affected by like DACA or anything immigration, but it wasn't until moving here that I realized like there are actually black immigrants, like people of all um, descents are actually immigrants in America, so yeah, I, that's definitely an eye-opener, so it's, it's important. And then also the stories are so different with each too so I thought that was great your documentary was great thank you and also like the editing and just like the production of it was really great it was like I was taking notes like it was really great <laughs> <laughs> um so I do kind of want to just kind of I guess talk about some of the situations that like um immigrants would have to deal with when um I guess if so wait is it for sure that uh, Trump is going to take DACA away is that like a guarantee now so it's kind of up in the air Trump rescinded DACA and in September 2017 and mm. gave Congress six months to come up with a permanent solution for DACA recipients. Congress still hasn't decided on anything. They are, yeah, are having a hard time agreeing on something. And there's also a couple states have sued the Trump administration or not have, yeah, a couple states have sued the Trump administration. And then a couple judges have declared that Trump cannot end DACA while the lawsuit is going on. Okay. That's, that's my understanding. It's kind of complicated and there's a lot going on. Mm -hmm. But so right now, DACA recipients are kind of in limbo. So they can still reapply for DACA because you have to um, renew your DACA every two years. So okay. they can still re you know, renew their DACA. But the future of DACA is definitely still up in the air. And a lot of people are in limbo, worried about what's going to happen next. You know, there are DACA recipients in college now who worry, okay, but what about when I graduate from college? Right. Am I going to be able to work? Mm -hmm. You know, if I don't have a work permit, things like that. And then there's also a lot of like, um, I guess, false information that um, is out there with DACA, because I mean, again, I haven't done extensive research. I was telling you before we did the interview, like we kind of get caught up in our own lives and only care about things that affect us. And like I said, mm -hmm. affect us. Sorry. And I, like I said before, you know, I wasn't it wasn't until I met Im other immigrants like, you know, then I realized like, wait. Like, this is actually going on and this isn't right. Let me dive in and see how I can help and just figure out what's going on here. So it's like people kind of just take what they read online and take it for grabs. So, for example, with DACA, yeah. I kind of just assume that, like, you know, these like immigrants, they will have access to everything that we have access to just because they're here. But that's not even the case. Like they still don't, aren't allowed to get FAFSA and they can't do mm -hmm. certain things like they're still super limited. So like can you kind of go into like what DACA actually provides for like um, the immigrants that are here. Yeah. So DACA, first of all, DACA only has protected 800,000 undocumented youth and there are 11 million undocumented immigrants. Mm -hmm. And um, so I just think that's important to keep in mind that yeah. um, there are also a lot of other undocumented immigrants without any benefits at all. And really quick too, um, the woman at the end of your video, she had a really great point. Like, you know, even though like we all out here fighting for the dreamers, but all 11 million undocumented yeah. immigrants are deserve to be protected. Just want to say exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was absolutely right. Yeah. So yeah, so DACA 
provides uh, temporary protection from deportation, meaning that um, that's what you were asking, right? The what DACA provides? Yeah. Yeah. So DACA provides temporary protection from deportation. Although there has been, I think, one or two DACA recipients who were deported under the Trump administration, even though you know it right. was illegal to deport them. But anyways, so it provides protection from deportation. So you know, if you're stopped by ICE or whoever, you can show your DACA, you know, that you are here, not legally, but that you are allowed to be here for the time being. Mm -hmm. And it also provides work permits. So that's really useful, not only for work, obviously, so that, you know, people can pay their way through college and things like that, but also so that people can get a driver's license. Mm -hmm. That's really important. And also ever since DACA was created, there have been a lot of programs, you know, I think there's just been more awareness about undocumented youth and the things that they need to succeed. And so there are programs that have been put in place specifically to help DACA recipients. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there are scholarships for college specifically for DACA recipients. And I remember um, just going on to the scholarships, we could piggyback off that. One of, um, I don't remember any of the names of the people that were in the documentary, (laughs) but the black woman that was in there, I think she was from Zambia. Yeah, Muewa. Huh? Muewa. Oh, how do you say it? Muewa. Muewa. Uh-huh. So she was going in on, like, the scholarships and everything, and she was saying how, what you said earlier, like, you know, uh, most of everything when it comes to immigration is usually geared towards, like, people who, who speak Spanish, like, Spanish-speaking immigrants. So she was saying, like, it's even hard for her to find, like, scholarships and things that help her because she's she's black. So she's come here, and she see, like, all the, um like, DACA, things for scholarships for DACA, or people are for people from Spanish-speaking countries. So then she'll go yeah. to, like, black scholarships, and those are usually for, like, black Americans. So you need documents and so she can't prove that so she's kind of like in the limbo there also the family or the the siblings with that needed medical help as well like that was really interesting because um i learned that people i'm not sure if it's just all immigrants but like people who come here like they they can't really get medical help so it's just like how does that apply for daca uh, recipients so a lot of DACA recipients have been able to get medical or health care through their jobs okay. because they're able to work legally and so they can, you know, depending on the job, get health care benefits. There are some undocumented immigrants who get some form of health care and I think that there are multiple ways that people do that and I'm not, to be honest, I'm not totally sure how they do it, but I mean it's definitely, I think, working around the system a bit to Mm -hmm. get medical assistance. And so Josefina does have some kind of medical assistance, but she does not get all of the benefits that she deserves because she has Down syndrome. And so she should be getting the benefits that Down syndrome, that US citizens with Down syndrome get, right? Right. But she doesn't qualify for that because she's not a permanent resident or a citizen. I think that they only gave her like, um, like a permit to work, right? Yeah, and and that's another thing. Yeah, like what, like, how can I work if I need help? Like, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> if I'm not healthy enough to work. So I, that was just like, yeah, this was, again, I keep saying thank you because it's, I love when I find documentaries like this because it's super eye open of things that I've just been, you know, being ignorant to. Like I wasn't choosing to just because there's so much going on. But um, yeah, we are affected by this as well. And then like the woman from Zambia, again, she was saying how like, even if being black, like you're three times um, more hired to get deported because yeah. you know, you're black, so you're gonna be stopped right there. And then they find out you're immigrant, so it's nothing for them to send you back to wherever you're from. So do you know exactly like what happened? So for example, um, if one of these people like that were in your documentary, if they aren't able to receive DACA benefits anymore, like do they just stay here until they're caught? Like what, what goes on after that? Like once DACA's gone, 
what happens? So I think it kind of depends. Um, I know a couple people in, in the documentary actually have found a pathway to, to permanent residency and, okay. and then citizenship. Because the even though it's you know 11 million undocumented immigrants, that number is always fluctuating and there are always people becoming citizens and mm-hmm. people becoming undocumented. Anyways, but so if DACA were to completely be taken away, I'm not really sure. I, I think that that's a personal choice. Right. I have heard some DACA recipients say, not in this documentary, but I have heard some DACA recipients say, if DACA is taken away, I'm going to either go back to my home, to my country of origin, or I'm going to move to Canada or Europe. Or go try know, a different Europe. country. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, people can just stay here undocumented mm-hmm. and hope for the best, or they can try to hopefully find another pathway to citizenship through a job or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I know, like, this is kind of hard for you to answer because, like, you're not directly affected. Do you have any idea, like, what it was like before DACA? Because like, yeah. I, you know, because I wasn't aware of all the issues until DACA, until Trump actually threatened to take away DACA is when I learned about all these things. But it's, like you said, it wasn't until Obama and, like, he implemented this. So, like, what was going on with, like, um, immigrant students before? Like, do you have any idea what that struggle was like? People have been trying to get the dream act passed since i think it was 2001 when they first started okay um and the dream act is what is it it's yeah basically a legislation that would protect undocumented youth who came to the country as children and so yeah they've been trying to get it passed since 2001 people are still trying to get it passed today now that trump rescinded daca yeah i mean i think it was a definitely a lot harder for students before daca and there are also i mean you can look at today there are still a ton of undocumented youth Mm -hmm. who either were unable to you know didn't apply for daca for whichever reason either out of fear you know because then the government would have information of them and their parents and stuff um and And that's the same too when it comes to seeking medical help like they don't want to because for that same reason exactly and uh there are also a lot of undocumented youth who don't qualify for daca and i think that that's also important to keep in mind is just because you came to the country as a child doesn't mean that you automatically qualify for daca Mm -hmm. because you had to come to the united states i think it's before june 2007 and you had to come before your 16th birthday okay so i know some undocumented immigrants for example who came to the country under the age of 16 but because they came after 2007, they weren't eligible to apply for DACA. So I look at them and compare them to DACA recipients, and I see they often go through a lot more struggles mm-hmm. because they don't have you know, the privilege of having DACA. Yeah, so I think it's I think it's really tough without DACA. I think that there are always some people who, you know, the exception who is going to follow through and do whatever it takes. You know, right. Christia, Christia, the one of the women in my documentary, she, she's from El Salvador. And when she first applied to Brown and got into Brown, she didn't she's have the doctor, right? Yeah. She, yeah. She's in med school. Yeah. <laughs> um, she didn't have DACA or anything when she first went. And this was before DACA was announced. And so I find that really incredible that even without mm-hmm. DACA, she was still determined to go to college yeah. her story was really inspiring too just because like some of the things that they just say to immigrants is just like what most people of color just go through here in the united states mm-hmm. like how like i think because she didn't have the documents the teacher was like you ain't gonna be able to do anything here like you know like stop don't even bother like you don't even have a social and she was determined and she did it like she still did it um she did whatever was necessary to get the documents to get into med school or actually i think i'm getting the two people mixed up i think i'm getting the the medical yeah the medical student then it was oh yeah a different worker yeah yeah she also graduated high school 
way before DACA was okay. announced. That's who I'm yeah. talking about because she didn't have, I think she didn't have the documents or whatever. And mm-hmm. then she was trying to go to school or she was trying to do something. And her teacher told her to don't, don't even bother because you don't have documents. You don't matter basically is what he mm-hmm. told her. So you do matter, obviously like documents doesn't make you like your, your person, your character, or anything. So I do appreciate you for, for doing this. You're doing a lot of amazing things, Sinclair. Aww, I'm going to go ahead so and go much. into the Eliminate Pick of the Week because it is you and your sister. Um, what's your sister's name again? Chloe. Chloe. You and your sister Chloe because of one, what you're doing with the documentary. Like you're not even affected by this, but like you're using all your, like what you learned in school and all your tools and everything to make awareness to this. So for someone who can actually probably do something about it, like your documentary will probably shed light on that and inspire them to do something. So it's like, that's why we need to create. Like, you know, we need to create. We need to share our stories and everything. So I am thankful for this and also thankful for the next story that you're doing. So you're a little, so you're, you're biracial. Mm-hmm. Actually, I just want you to go ahead and go into the project that you're you're working on for your little sister. This is why you're the lemonade pick of the week. So let's okay. go ahead and tell the world what you're doing. Sure. <laughs> so I have, well, I have three little siblings and one of them, my little sister Chloe, has a really big afro and it's super beautiful, but she has been feeling self-conscious about it. And she's only five. And she and my other two siblings, they live in the south of France and go to a predominantly white school and they don't really see themselves represented much in other people or in the media you know pretty much anywhere right and so yeah my sister chloe she has definitely the 4c hair y'all. yeah the 4c, 4C hair, hair. <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> Um, and it's so beautiful, but she, you know, sometimes feels so self-conscious about it that she doesn't even want to go to school. She just, she wants straight hair. And so I was really upset about it. And she's been feeling this way for, I want to say at least a year. Mm-hmm. And she's so young. And so then I, you know, was really angry at the media because she's always watching that movie Frozen. And I love Frozen, but I hate that it makes her hate her hair because she just wants hair like Elsa and Anna that's right. curly and long. And um, when did you like and- realize, I guess, that? like she was having trouble accepting her hair so maybe about a year ago like what was it um, i guess it would be a better question yeah so it was so i don't i don't live with her but um i mean i i talked to her a lot on on whatsapp and stuff and i talked to my dad and my dad said because we have the same dad mm-hmm. and my dad said you know chloe has been having trouble she doesn't want to go to school she didn't want to go to school today because of her hair she doesn't like the way her hair looks and so that was sort of the first thing and it's crazy because my mom and i had just been talking about that you know oh we're so grateful that chloe you know that she likes her hair that you know so before like going to school she was okay with her hair yeah we or at least we never heard anything from her about not liking her hair before she started school Mm. yeah it's probably like the world that's trying to convince her that her hair is bad but yeah i mean she's blessed definitely i mean no 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 diss to you because you don't have 4c hair or anything (laughs) but like you know 4c hair is popping like you know and she will she'll definitely learn that but um go on to the project of what you're doing to help her encourage her to love her hair so i'm doing a photo book featuring photos of black women with natural hair um, of all different hair types Mm -hmm. and with all different hairstyles from locks to puffs to braids to afros because I just want to show her how beautiful black women's hair is and how diverse it is and how many things she can do with her hair you know I want her to see you know oh I can lock it if I want I can put it in a puff if I want things like that Mm -hmm. she's really lucky to have so many options because 
black hair is so versatile for sure <laughs> do anything you want yeah <laughs> and also she's lucky to have you because well, like I, you. I i keep telling you this because it's so dope because she is so young so it's just like the world will teach you not to like your hair from look at from that age and then you it takes you getting to college when you're an adult and you want to accept yourself to learn your, and love yourself so it takes you 20 something years so it's just like it's great that you're doing this and encouraging it at this um, young age because when she gets to college and if she by the time, if she loves her hair at seven like imagine she'll be unstoppable by the time she's in college because she's gonna don't have to overcome all these other things so this is great and then also too it helped me open my eyes out a whole bunch of other things just because i'm not biracial so it's just like i know i'd never really and it took the, your story and then also um drake's biracial and it's the beef going on with um Pusha T. I know you're not really big in hip hop, but Drake is beefing with Pusha okay, T. Okay, right I now. haven't heard. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> and Drake's biracial, and he dropped. Pusha T found a photo of Drake when he was like in 2007. He was ha he had blackface on. Yeah. So Drake, he dropped some like you know fake apology or whatever. But for me, I just seen it as someone who was just had it was like a sense of identity, like an identity issue. Like you know he's biracial, his dad wasn't there, his mom's white, and he's probably trying to fit in with the kids around, which is probably like something similar what Chloe's going through. Like you know, yeah, it's exactly. I feel like he did this um, to be okay with his friends, which is something you don't need to do. Like you don't have like why are you putting you're black? You don't need to put blackface on. And then also with um, the the princess that's now in the um, uh, Meghan Markle yeah so it's just like there's so many just like stories that are coming out and it just made made me think about like just being biracial or just like um the the pressure to choose a side in a way like you know like if you're black you're black if you like for your sister she has 4c hair so she's gonna be black regardless like no matter what but like for you you have wavy hair so you can probably pass i mean of course you claim like you're a black woman mm -hmm. you you are a black woman when that i appreciate too um, but like, you know, but you can pass like or Meghan Markle, she has straight hair and she can pass. So it's just like those situations like you can kind of choose. And like I was reading um, a paper that Meghan Markle did, I think it was like for Elle magazine and where she was talking about like colorism and stuff like all her life. All she hears is like, what are you? What are you? What is this? Like, you know, yeah. like you they're forcing her to choose. And she was saying like when she fill out like forms or whatever, like for ethnicity, it'll be black, white, other or whatever. And then someone told her to choose white because that's what she looked like. So it's just like that pressure to see, like, figure out who you are and, and, and everything. And this is super personal. So please um, answer how you feel. I should, probably should have said this before. Oh, no, that's okay. But I'll edit yeah. it out or whatever. But like, like, how do you deal with that? Because I remember you were saying something, too, about when you were younger, because you have a white mother and a black father. And your mother was like, you know, telling you, like, like trying to convince you to love your hair and everything. And you kind of back of your mind, you were just like, what do you know type thing. So like, how do you, I guess, deal with that or if you handled that or... Let me know if that's too much oh, to no, talk no, about. That's yeah. okay. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, first of all, I, I want to acknowledge, I think it's definitely, there's a lot of privilege that comes with being biracial, you know, mm -hmm. because of colorism and things like that. And so I think that I definitely do have a lot of privilege, you know, that I obviously acknowledge. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think that growing up, I mean, I was always closest with my mom. She was always my best friend. And I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood before it was gentrified. Mm -hmm. And uh, my elementary school, though, was predominantly white. It's funny, my mom, my mom always tells me that when I was in kindergarten, uh, it was mostly black school. And there were, you know, girls with braids and stuff like that and cool hairstyles and always and I was always say, Oh, mom, you know, I want you to do my hair like theirs with the braids and stuff. And mm -hmm. then as soon as I got to the predominantly white school when I was six, she said that I no longer wanted the braids anymore, that I just wanted to put my hair like in a ponytail or a bun or whatever, you know, just kind of hide it and not 
really do, I guess, Afrocentric styles mm-hmm. anymore. That's really cool how yeah. she kind of just like noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. But I was yeah, like, that's cool that she noticed aware. that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, looking back, she was probably sad because I know that she always wanted me to embrace my hair. Mm. Um, but going to the predominantly white elementary school, I think my mom, she says, like, she's, she's still conflicted about sending me there because she wanted to send me. It was a Montessori school and... I mean, it was a really good school to truly, you know, for true learning and deep learning and stuff. And so she wanted to send me to that kind of school. But that also meant that I wasn't going to be around black and brown kids because, you know, black and brown kids often don't have access to those kinds of schools. Right. And so, yeah, she, she made the choice to send me to the Montessori school. And I just wanted to be white. You know, I mean, to be blunt, I just wanted to be white. I wanted to look like my mom with blonde hair and blue eyes. I wanted to look like my friends from school. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time I told my mom, I was like, I wish my dad was black. I wish my dad was white. And and I love my dad and I love, I mean, I love the way he looks and everything. But I just, I wanted him to be white so that I could be white, you know? Yeah, so it took me a really long time. And then through high school, I went to a pretty diverse high school, but people would also say, you know, people would call me white, I guess, because of how I speak and because um, I got really good grades, which is really problematic. Right. People would always say, oh, you're so white because, you know, your A's and stuff like that. And looking back, you know, I laughed at the time, but looking because I kind of, you know, wanted to be seen as more white. But looking back, I'm like, wow, that was that was really terrible. Teachers included would make jokes about that and you know and now I'm pretty upset that they did um and it wasn't until I got to Brown that is really silly though why was it like you should be encouraging this teacher like what the fuck yeah I know exactly yeah there were a lot of problematic things um but so yeah when I got to Brown was the first time that I really saw blackness as a beautiful thing and I'm still trying to figure out why why it happened at Brown um being in a space where there aren't actually as many black people but I think it's because the group of black people you know it's there's a lot of black pride on campus and stuff Mm -hmm. maybe because we're such a small number yeah um but there are events you know like the black appreciation dinner and things like that and i would just look around me and see all these beautiful black women and that was the first time that i really saw blackness as beautiful Mm -hmm. and that i really started embracing my blackness because before that sorry i kind of went off on a tangent (laughs) i'm enjoying listening to it it's it's a different perspective it's like because you are biracial and and like you said before you do have privilege but you do still you know experience a lot of the shit that me a dark black uh, black uh, dark-skinned woman experienced too and also too i do want to like kind of confess Mm-hmm. something and this, yeah. is, this is kind of why I want to talk about it this is something that I have to check within myself because like you DM'd me on Instagram that's how we connected you DM me to participate in the book that you're doing for your sister and yeah. then you know the first thing you wrote was like I'm a black woman and then I yeah. seen your photo and I was like okay so then I had to click and you know kind of confirm and it was just like just for me to do that like you know but then it's also we have Rachel Dulles out here so it's like I wanted to yeah, make sure oh, you really are a black woman so I was just like <laughs> All right. That's so but funny. Then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but this that that line alone was just like, I'm a black woman. Like you declare that, you said it, it's a statement, it's fact. So I was just like, Who am I to say that you aren't? But then it was just like, you know, I, I thought about Rachel and I was like, Well, let me confirm. But yeah. just like that alone is just kinda like, you know, that argument of not being black enough. Like I'm dark skinned, but like I went I'm from Compton in LA the hood, but then I went mm-hmm. to Orange County for college. So like, you know, my 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 speaking improved. I was doing public speaking because I wanted to work in radio and broadcasting, so that was the whole point. So then I'll go back and then I was the white girl, you know, I was the one. Yeah, you know, so I definitely could relate to that. But it's just like <laughs> 
It's just, yeah, it's just, it, it opened my eyes up to just, to that, and then what you would experience, too, because although you do get the privilege, but there's also still backlash, because you're still a black woman regardless, so, regardless if you have white or anything in you, you get black, yeah. if you're black, so, yeah, and I do, like, um, how important you think, okay, so you and Chloe have different mothers, let me know if this is too much, because yeah. I don't know if no, I want to go, no, like, no, too yeah, much into, yeah, your, like, yeah, your yeah. personal life, no, that's okay. but, like, do you think, how, or... I don't know how to ask this question because someone brought up Meghan Markle um, mm -hmm. as an example and then she was just saying like, well, because her mother is black, so you know yeah. Meghan's black. Do you, how important, I guess, is it that the mother is in tune with the black? I don't, uh, I don't know how to ask this question because like, I guess m my friend, she was just saying that it's important of where the mother is. Like the dad can be whatever, but she was saying like, it's important to stand on the mother. Like if the mother is dedicated to only treating like the child, um, wanted them to be white and raised as white, then mm -hmm. that's how the child would be and it will neglect the black side and won't understand and end up doing shit like Drake or like, you know, being like Meghan Markle or whatever and like have a, a actual black mom and knowing or having a mother like, yo, like you and it's knowing or wanting to learn or just being aware of that, that other side. Like, I guess how important you think that is coming from your experience and everything? I think that that's super important. <laughs> I read an article about maybe like a year or two ago and it was this biracial guy and his mom was white and it was this article about how his mom was just was you know unaware of things and she mm. was a trump supporter and he would try to talk to her about you know how that was harmful for him as a black person and right she just got more intense in her views you know a sort of backlash and she was just you know very she got very pro-trump the more he was talking about how it affected him and so that's so sad because that's it's, like yeah, your, it's that's terrible. your mother your mother yeah. Wow. And so I feel that made me realize, I mean, I'm so lucky. I think that it's super important that, I mean, even if I, you know, whatever parent is white, I think it's super important that they are in tune and that they right. know a lot about, that they know about black history, that they know about the issues affecting black folks. And my mom is so good about that. She kind of, ever since she was in grad school, I want to say she's, she took it upon herself to just learn about issues affecting black folks and she's always putting herself in black spaces and just listening a lot and i feel like that and should yeah. be the norm especially if you want to date someone black like why not learn exactly. about them <laughs> 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 so you know with all that you've experienced like the whole like you know figuring yourself out and wanting to be white and then now um empower and being empowered and just wanting loving your blackness as well so what would you say to your old self, I guess, your younger self, who, not the one that wanted to be white, but the one who was just torn in between, I guess, before deciding to go white. Like, what would you tell your old self before making that decision? Pick a side. If that, did you, yeah. have, that, yeah, is, is yeah, that a good yeah. question? Like, That's do you understand question. it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I've been thinking about that with my little sister, you know, yeah. what can I tell her? I think, I was thinking about it this morning, in the shower, actually. <laughs> um, I think that I would probably give myself a history lesson on I don't know a brief history of black folks because I think that there's really no way that you can really know about the history of black people and how much we've been oppressed yet how resilient we are and how much we've been able to do in spite of the world trying to put us down yeah I feel like knowing that there's just so much 
pride in that and you right. have to love yourself so i think i would give myself a history lesson you know try to make it not boring since i was <laughs> little but <laughs> noted so what we need to do is teach everyone i'm just kidding we already know that that's that that's exactly what we need to do is just like from birth like we need to know our history we need to teach our our children our history so when they are born they understand why their hair is like this they understand that this is your hair growing out of your head, so it's beautiful. Anything that's coming from you is beautiful. Like, And, yeah, that other person, you may like their hair, and it's beautiful, but that's them, and that's for them. It's not you. It's, it's not who you are. So, again, I appreciate everything you're doing because um, you are helping your sister, and you're going to be helping so many other little black girls around the world who are struggling. And it's not even biracial. It's just being black. Like, I didn't, you know, I like, it took me a while to learn, uh, like, love my blackness and everything. It took me moving to New York to even discover and learn and love it. So it's, like, it's so necessary. Necessary. And it's it's so necessary. So St. Clair, you are, so I'm going to get on emotional, but you are this week's Lemonade Pick of the Week. Thank Woo-hoo. you so much. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's time for my favorite segment, which is to love a black woman. So that's where you, St. Clair, you get to say something that you love about yourself, or you can say something that you love about a particular black woman, or you can say something that you love about black women in general. I'm going to talk about black women in general. Okay. I am really proud to be a black woman, and I just think that they're has been so much in social justice, for example, that's been accomplished because of black women. Black women are constantly at the forefront mm-hmm. of so many, you know, political issues. Like Black Lives Matter was founded by three black women. Right. Black women are I just feel I just feel like we are so powerful and so resilient and yeah, I don't know. I just I, I also kind of feel and maybe this is weird, but I kind of feel like we are the mother of humanity in a way, right? That's not weird at all. <laughs> <laughs> because you because we're all, you know, from Africa and so the African woman is the first mother and I feel really proud of that. Yeah, we do take care of everyone too. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you again, St. Clair. Um, where can um, everyone find uh, doc- the documentary and everything? So it is going to, if you're in D.C., it's going to. Also, really quick, I mm-hmm. had screenshot it. Oh, yeah. But you actually documented one best documentary short film at the Centrally Isolated Film Festival at Cornell University. So congrats. Thank you. To you. And then it's, wow, so it's already on the start of everything that you want to do. Like, people are watching it, and you are letting people know, so congrats Thank there. Thank you. So where can people find the, the documentary again? Sorry. Yeah, so I don't have it publicly online okay. right now. Um, I will after the film festival circuit, but the next showing is going to be June 12th at 6.30 p.m. at Bloom Bars in Washington, D.C. Okay, so if you're and in D.C., you yeah. want to check it out. You can. Exactly. And I have a Facebook page for Documented. So if if you all follow the page on Facebook, you can keep up with updates and future screenings. Perfect. And good yeah. luck with that. With Thank I know you. that's kind of stressful too getting into all those like film festivals bit. and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a tad. And um, so with the book that you're working on with your sister, um, I asked you this off, so I already know the answer, but I'm asking so everyone else can hear. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you plan on um, sharing it with the world or is it just going to be something for your sister? Yes, I would. I would like to share it um, with my sister because as I'm working on the project, I realize I think there's a lot of black women, you know, grown women also who I think it would help them to see uh, beautiful black women with natural hair. Definitely. So yeah. be on the lookout for all that Sinclair is doing. I remember her name. She's out here. She's fucking. She's like, yo. I'm so happy. I'm thankful that I met you. It's like I'm. I'm just really excited. You're about to change this world. You're already working on it. So I appreciate you. 
Um, do you want to like shout out your Instagram? Like, do you want people to follow you on your regular Instagram? Sure. Yes. Yeah, or so, social media. Okay. I, I just always use Instagram. <laughs> uh, so my yeah, my Instagram is. I made it when I was in high school. It's Nushi <laughs> Sushi, N-O-O-S-H-I-E, and then sushi, like the food. Mm-hmm. And my Facebook is Claire Dietrich Jules. Are you going to write the name on the podcast? Someone did say I should put it on the SoundCloud. I do it on Instagram. Okay. <laughs> I do everything yeah. on Instagram, but I'll, I'll do it on SoundCloud too this time. Okay, cool. So yeah, I'm on, I'm on Facebook also, Claire Dietrich Jules. Okay. And um, y'all can find me on all social media platforms at underscore Smangy. Um, I did say that we're going to have some content coming soon to Avocado and Honey Live or Avocado and Honey's YouTube channel. And also, too, I want to explore DACA more. So I will be reaching out to immigrants um, around the New York City area so we can create a video version of this interview. So we won't be speaking with you, but we'll actually speak with someone who's experienced so we can ask more detailed questions and stuff. So be on the lookout for that. I'm inspired, so I want to learn more. Oh, cool. Thank you. And um, yeah, so go ahead and follow Avocado and Honey on Instagram. It's just avocado and spelled out honey. Um, there's going to be more content there. Um, check out all the other content that's already there. We have curl friends. So we have um, where I go out and speak to people who with curly hair who uh, on a specific topic. We have one where we found out what people were listening to. Uh, we went to Curl Fest last year to see or to learn when black women fell in love with their natural hair and just learn about that story. Um, there's reviews on there. There's live versions to the podcast where you get to learn more on specific topics. So more video content coming soon. Again, you guys go ahead and follow Avocado Honey on there. And also, if you like this episode, episode or like any episodes of avocado and honey please like subscribe share tell a friend spread the word on avocado and honey so we can keep these conversations going as always i appreciate you (laughs) until next time bye